Hey everyone, I know that I usually bring out an episode every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Uh, however, this is Christmas and I'm not going to be recording an episode today. So instead, what I decided to do is include an episode of 143 Pixels. It is me and Tom Tate talking about Link's Awakening on the Game Boy Color. I figured as Nintendo fans, you would probably appreciate this episode the most out of all of the ones that have released so far. Um, if you didn't know, uh, this is my, it's just a, it's another podcast that I do and I don't even really know how to describe it. Basically it's, it's me sitting down with a friend and talking about a single game. Uh, you can subscribe to it on any podcast player that you're using right now for free. It doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and, and it really does help out if you, uh, if you do subscribe to 143 pixels. In fact, if everybody who listened to Nintendo Switchcraft subscribed to 143 pixels, that would be just the the, the best Christmas gift that I could receive. Uh, anyway, uh, Tom and I are going to talk about um, uh, Link's Awakening for the Game Boy Color, and I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. And uh, I'll see you on Friday, most likely. I probably will record early in the day because we're having people over on Friday. But uh, that's when the next episode will come out. And um, I don't know if there's going to be much for news. So I think I might be talking about my favorite games that I played in 2019. With that being said, without further ado, it's time for Tom. Uh, Let's head on over and listen to 143 Pixels, where the resolution doesn't matter. Hey everyone, welcome to 143 Pixels. I'm Bill, and we're here to talk about games we love. Each episode, I bring a friend, that friend brings a game. This week, my friend is Tom Tate, and the game that he brought is Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. I met Tom back when he asked me to guest on his show, Power Time Podcast. It's this really, really cool show that uh, it, it basically deconstructs an issue of Nintendo Power. Now, uh, that is a solo show, but... There was a summer a couple years ago where he just spent the entire summer interviewing a bunch of different people, and he reached out to me and said, hey, would you come on the show? And he had a thing called the Nintendo 10, where he asked 10 questions about Nintendo stuff, and it was a really fun conversation. After that, I ended up asking him to come on. It was either Nintendo Switchcraft or Run Jump Stomp, and I I actually can't remember which uh, show that I had him on, but uh, whatever whatever it was, I know that Chat was very happy with our chemistry. He and I uh, worked pretty well together, and he's just an easy guy to talk to. Uh, so I essentially. Uh, or not essentially, uh, of course, I was going to ask Tom to be on 143 Pixels. And uh, so I sent him a message and he said, Link's Awakening. And I wasn't sure, was he talking about the Game Boy version or the Nintendo Switch version? Uh, But it was, of course, the Game Boy version. Although in the interview, we do kind of talk about the differences between the original Game Boy version and the Nintendo Switch version. And uh, it's okay. 
Uh, it, it's still the same game. And if somebody wants to come on at some point and talk about just the Nintendo Switch version, we can do that. Or they can come on and talk about the Game Boy version as well. Uh, Tom's an awesome, awesome dude. And I really appreciate him coming on the show. So without further ado, now that I've introduced who my friend is, uh, now it's time for us to get some background on the game. But first, we've got to pay the bills. So we'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Stick around. Down with Zelda from the very start. I got the heart, it's Mars to play the part. Sit down with Zelda. Peeping through with thin overhead view. Cause a man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. So I stay on track, collect the facts. Never cut the slack, and I always watch my back for Jack. I'm the man with the plan. Cause the power's in my head, and the power's in my hand. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Link's Awakening for the Game Boy is an adventure game that focuses on exploration and combat and puzzles like all Zelda games do. It was developed by Nintendo. It was published by Nintendo. Uh, The game was directed by Takashi Tezuka. It was written by Yoshiaki Koizumi, who is now a pretty... He is the face of Nintendo, I feel, at this point. Uh, Especially now that Reggie Fils-Aimé has retired... I feel like every time that we see some big news from Nintendo, it's Mr. Koizumi out front. Uh, It was also written by uh, Kensuke Tanabe. The music was composed by Minaku Hamano and Koizumi Ishikawa. Sorry about butchering any of those names. The game was originally released in Japan on June 6th, 1993. I was a junior in high school at that point. Uh, it holds an average score as far as reception on game rankings of 90%. Uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly's Jeremy Parrish said that Link's Awakening uh, is the best Game Boy, uh, game, Boy game ever. And it's, it, he called it an adventure so engrossing and epic that we can even forgive the end of the game, which I'm not going to spoil. The Ottawa Citizen, back in the day, we didn't have a lot of gaming publications, so video games got reviewed in some newspapers and stuff, and Bill Provick of the Ottawa Citizen uh, reviewed the game, and they said that they found the two-button control scheme to be awkward as you needed to switch items on almost every scene, uh, every screen, and this is something that Tom and I talked about in the interview at length, it was. It's definitely something that I agree with what Bill Provick here is saying. The setting 
is I think it might be the only Zelda that takes place not in Hyrule. I could be wrong about that. I've played them all, but I can't remember. It's all kind of blurry, and you guys know about me and Goldfish uh, memory. But uh, it's it, it takes place on Koholint Island rather than on Hyrule. You have to wake up the Windfish, who is sleeping in an egg at the top of the mountain, in order to leave the island. And as far as the story goes, that's as much as I know about it, because I've never played the original on the Game Boy. I never played it uh, when it came out for the Game Boy Color either. And I've only played it on the Nintendo Switch, and right now I'm, I'm probably around the fifth dungeon in at this point. Um... It's very, very, very fun game, though. Uh, the The game actually started as an unsanctioned side project by Kawikati Morita. And um, when Link, uh, giving you a little bit of trivia on this, when Link hits a Kuko, Marin will yell at him. However, if Link hits a Kuko too many times, Marin will temporarily change her attitude and she will encourage Link to keep attacking it. Now, I have not tried this in the game because I like where Marin is in my game currently is not near any the the chickens or the cuckoos. So I can't test this myself. But there's also a very, very interesting uh, other bit of trivia that Tom tells me about actually multiple things that Tom tells me about in the interview, and I'm not going to spoil those for you now. We'll talk about them in the interview uh, that that, ta- that, um, that are about like items that you have in the game as well as uh, your name in the game. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting. So without any further ado, here is the intro to Link's Awakening on the Game Boy. Maybe I won't. Let's talk about Zelda. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, it sounds great. All right, man. So why did you pick uh, Link's Awakening as the game that you, you wanted to pick? So I, I think that this game just kind of resonates with me. Obviously, there's some relevance because uh, a recent re-release just came out for the Nintendo Switch. So it's been at the top of mind for me lately. Uh, but I have so many good memories playing this game. So it really just boils down to that. Um, really just had such an incredible time experiencing this game for the first time uh, back on the Game Boy. And then, you know, ultimately, if we want to talk about Link's Awakening DX on the Game Boy Color. All right. So l- let me ask you a question. When you first got this game, um, like how old were you? I-, I don't remember the exact date that I played the original. I played the original, uh, the 1993 Game Boy version. I played that one first. So I want to say maybe I might have been 10 years old when I played that that, that actual version. 
So when you when you went to the store and uh, you picked it out, did you know what you were going for, or did you go and you looked at stuff and you were like, "Mom, Mom, uh, this is the one that I want." Yeah, so I I definitely knew exactly what I wanted. Uh, I received this game, uh, I believe, as a Christmas gift. Uh, I forget what exact year it was, but I was already a Link to the Past fan, right? So I've I've already kind of had this top you know overhead zelda experience on the super nintendo and then once i saw you know i want to say it was in nintendo power but i'm not quite sure where i first came across this game but once i saw screenshots of you know ultimately what seemed like link to the past style gameplay on game boy i knew immediately that this is something that i needed to have in my life that's awesome so uh, tell me about you said you have st- so many memories tell me about some of them like what's what's the first thing that comes to mind when I say uh link's awakening definitely that that kind of intro sequence um and and you know kind of waking up on the beach uh, so hopefully I'm not spoiling on this any for anyone who uh, hasn't played the game yet but you know you kind of wake up on a beach like that's kind of the opening sequence you know you're you're on a ship there's a storm. It's really, really beautiful on the new Nintendo Switch version, uh, but it was such a memorable little opening to a game. Um, and then I also remember all these kind of quirky characters. Uh, so when I also think about Link's Awakening, I think about all the different Mario uh, Mario characters that are kind of... Hold on, hold on. You don't have to correct yourself. If you want to say Mario and be wrong, that's okay. It's all you right. Know, I, <laughs> I, I had some really scary negative... Um, podcast reviews of people who are very upset with the way that i pronounced uh mario uh for for us uh east coast uh united states people but um mario mario but you know you have bow wow and you have a couple other really interesting uh, goombas are in this game and i think stumbling upon bow wow for the first time and then stumbling upon the goombas it, it was really really unique and quirky um, so I, I would have to say, if, if I'm thinking back to this game, it's that opening sequence and then all the little quirky elements that you kind of uh, stumble upon throughout. When I talk about Zelda games, I, I often talk about this schoolyard discussion that would happen like when when I was a kid. Because I, I, I'll be honest, I've never played the original. Well, OK, that's not true. I've only played like five minutes of the original Link's Awakening on Game Boy or Game Boy Color, whatever. I Like, it's just not a game that I had uh, when I had my Game Boy. So I had no experience with this game until the Switch version came out. But I had a lot of experience with uh, the original Zelda and talking to my friends about that when we were at school and saying, oh, you know, I found this thing and then and then here's how you figure out that puzzle. And, and we would have these conversations, you know, in study hall or uh, in class or, uh, you know, out on the playground or wherever we happen to be. Is that a thing like were you and your friends constantly talking about this game when it came out or was that something that were you the only person in your uh, cohort that, that really had that? Oh, we, we were definitely talking about this. Um, I received it after it was released. So I, and I also remember back in the day, you didn't really have kind of the release day hype that we have now. So like, even if a game came out a year or two, you know, prior, you know, you're still having conversations about them. And I definitely remember that with this game, um, this game is super challenging, and I think that without the internet and without a guide, 
uh, you're left to your own kind of devices. You're left to really do a lot of exploring and kind of just stumbling upon the right next place to go or the next person that you need to trade a specific item with. Uh, so I definitely remember having a lot of those conversations. I especially remember because most of my friends, we were all Zelda fanatics. You know, we were huge fans of the series. And I remember when the DX version was released, uh, it was released with some new features, but then it was also released with a new dungeon. And That's I right, remember the color dungeon. The color dungeon. And I remember a few of us, uh, we did get DX on or around the release date. You know, so we were actively replaying the game together. And I remember it was kind of a race to see who can experience the color dungeon first, you know, the fastest. Uh Uh, So we we were all kind of playing the game feverishly and quickly, you know, to try to get to that color dungeon so we can experience it and talk about it. Uh, So I do remember that aspect of kind of the the community behind it when it was released. Were you the person who got through the color dungeon first or did, did Tom come up short that time? I don't think I was, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, my reflexes were, were pretty on point, but I, I don't think that I was, uh, maybe my parents wouldn't let me play nearly as much as, you know, some of my friends were allowed to play. Maybe you day. didn't have enough batteries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ran out of all of my uh, my AA batteries, or maybe someone had the Super Game Boy and was able to just power through it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, so you were talking about the, you know, this is pre-internet era and you know, luckily, I've I've been playing. I've been working. I'm about halfway through the uh, the Switch version of the game. Okay. Um, but as I play through, there are these phone booths that you can go into, and you can talk to somebody, and they will give you a hint. Were those in the original game as well? Yeah, old Ryra. Uh, I, I definitely remember those being in the original game as well, um, intact. I don't know if the same you know, quotes that he would share our word for word. But I absolutely remember going to those phone booths and, and relying on those to kind of see what the next step is for sure. That's a, I feel like that that's a pretty clever mechanic, especially in the, you know, in the era when you didn't have a, a guide. Although to be fair, I mean, Nintendo sold a guide to the game, I'm sure. sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, we could have, probably use that maybe it was uh, against their own best interest to put those hints in the game uh because that you know they, they could have driven a lot more people to pick up the the specific issue of nintendo power that would have been a funny little kind of tongue-in-cheek thing right like if you visited the phone booth too many times he just said <laughs> he just said hey i know a certain uh player's guide that you could pick up at your local you know retailer or software etc that would be that would be really hilarious. <laughs> right, um, right. Now I want to go into the phone booth over and over and over and see if it says something like that. I do have a version of this game on a retro pie someplace yeah. that, I've, that I've never played. So it makes me want to check that out. Uh, did So you said that you played through multiple times. Outside of the color dungeon, was there anything that you noticed... Uh, playing through the second time that stood out to you that the first time that that you just did not notice. Yeah, you know, there's there's something really funny uh, and quirky in this game that I haven't seen this replicated in any other Zelda titles, but I'm sure there are listeners who will correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd love to be corrected on this one. But if you go into the main shop in the town, and I don't know if you've tried this yet, um, you can actually pick up any of the items and just walk right out of the shop um if if the shopkeeper's not looking at you what um 
yes. So you can actually steal any of the items and the, the bow and arrow, um, is actually it's pretty expensive. Very, it's 800 and 800 yeah, and something it's, rupees. It's eight or 900 rupees. So like you can actually steal that. Um, what is really hilarious though, is that if you go back into the shop after you've stolen something, um, I don't know how he does this, but the shopkeeper kind of zaps you and kills you right on the spot um, for stealing from his shop. And whatever name you chose for Link in the game gets replaced with Thief. And all of the characters refer to you as Thief for the rest of the game. I had no idea that that existed the first time I played the game, but I remember finding out about that um, the hard way in the DX version. Uh, I actually did without reading a guide or without finding out about this from a friend, um, I did stumble upon the ability for you to steal something. And then once I did that, uh, I was just blown away that that was even a possibility in the game. Really funny. So I, I, I'm sorry. I just picked up the game and I started going and I, I picked up the hearts off the counter because I already had it running on my Switch. And uh, I tried to walk out of the counter and he says, hey, stop. You got to pay for those. See if you can sneak out. Maybe you can sprint. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna. Oh, yeah. Let's do that right now. So, tell me. Uh, uh, while I'm trying that, tell me another memory. Yeah. Something else that stands out to you. That's like, man, that was really cool. I think the trading sequence was really cool. Um, it was very. It's very complex in this game. A lot of games have these kind of complex trading sequences, but I really liked how it weaves all of the interesting characters together. Uh, the items are very bizarre you know you pick up a can of food you know bananas uh, all different types of stuff a necklace a letter um i really liked i don't want to give away too many spoilers but i guess if you haven't played the game yet um shame on you if you haven't played this well, game. you know what you don't worry made. about don't worry about yeah. spoilers like that but spoilers like the story kind of spoilers like avoid that if you can but I, but spoilers I, I about the trading sequence yeah. are probably okay so so there is a character uh, who wants a pen pal? Uh, his name, I believe, was Mister Wright. Yes, and it is because I haven't found out, I haven't found out how to do this yet. So go ahead. I won't spoil. I won't spoil the, the kind of the, the the surprise and delight part of it. Uh, but Mister Wright, I believe it's actually the same Mister Wright from Sim City, which is another quirky little thing in this game. Oh. Uh, but yeah, uh, so the interesting little cameo there. But if you deliver a letter from a certain person to Mr. Wright, uh, there's a really funny little surprise in the letter that he opens. Uh, and that was another kind of fantastic memory that I have of this game, just something that made me laugh. Um, I'll be honest, I'm forming new memories with it right now, experiencing it on the Switch. Uh, my son is playing through it. Uh, so my son is six years old. This is the first Zelda title that he's picked up to play. And it's really, really awesome and a testament to kind of the game design to watch him play this and experience the same level of kind of exploration and wonderment and excitement when you kind of stumble upon the right next step or the right place to go that I remember experiencing playing it, you know, decades ago, you know, so it's been really, really awesome to kind of experience that vicariously again through him kind of watching him play uh, as his first Zelda title. Yeah, before I speak to that, I will give you an update. I tried sprinting out. You can't sprint while you're holding an item, apparently. Oh, interesting. So, so there you go. They, they've they stopped you from being a thief unless there's some other way to do it. Um, okay. I will say this about the combat. I don't know if the combat is as uh, easy 
as it is on the Switch version uh, back in the day. But the combat is very, very simple, and I don't think that this is a bad thing. In fact, I think it it makes the whole game so much more approachable, especially for younger kids. And I I have to say that while this is not a game that is made for kids, it's a game that's made for everyone, and that's the thing that Nintendo really kind of specializes in. You know what sure. I mean? Um I'm having an absolute blast with it, but I can totally see a six-year-old finishing this game. Uh, keep in mind, I'm only halfway through. Maybe the later stuff is way harder, but I can see a six-year-old being able to finish this game because the combat really isn't all that hard. Would you agree with that, Tom? So I think that the challenge lies with some of the puzzles that you'll encounter in some of the deeper dungeons that get a little bit challenging. Uh, and then also, you know, depending upon your ability to read really well, so you can pick up all the clues that the owl leaves, you know, throughout dungeons and then throughout mm-hmm. the game. But I, you know, I ultimately think that this is the perfect entry level Zelda for, for most younger players. I would definitely say that uh, just in terms of the simplicity of the combat I would not recommend the Game Boy version for entry-level players because of how much menu switching you have to do um, because you only could map items to the two buttons. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I definitely think that, you know, they've made so many quality-of-life updates to the Switch version that I would absolutely recommend, you know, any younger players who haven't played a Zelda yet. Like, this is one of the best places to start and then potentially be able to finish the whole thing. I can't imagine, you know an eight-year-old finishing Breath of the Wild. You know, it's just too vast of a game. Uh, maybe. Um, but yeah, like, this is definitely a good entry point. Yeah, well, Breath of the Wild came out two and a half years ago, and my son at that point was nine, and he finished it. Uh, oh, awesome. But, you know, he he said, hey, Dad, I want this, uh, I want the the guide. So we ended up getting him the guide so that he could look things up and which was great because it actually kind of kickstarted his reading. He wasn't really reading all that much uh, unless we made him. We were like, it's time you got to go do read for an hour. And we got on this guide and it ended up really kickstarting his reading. He reads so much more now than he ever used to. And I think it's, you know, due to Zelda. Um, I, I kind of, re- you mentioned the reading with, with Zelda. Um, and, and that's a thing that, that, Outside of Breath of the Wild, uh, the other Zelda games have all been really, really chatty games, I think. Uh, When I had my GameCube, my daughter was younger, and she wanted to play um, Wind Waker. And I said, the only way that... I I made a huge mistake, and I think this is why she's less interested in video games than my son, is because I said, the only way I'll let you play this is if you read the the stuff on the screen out loud and there was two reasons for this number one i didn't want to have to solve puzzles for her that i wasn't in the room for so like if i went in the other room and she skipped all of the text and this was like i don't know what to do now i'm like well you skipped all the text i don't know what to do either i wasn't in here uh and i wanted her to use it as a way to read and she tried it and then she she just said nope it's I, I don't want to do it and uh she she decided that uh I mean she's she reads a lot now but 
it, it was enough to drive her away from video games, I think. But but Zelda games have always been very, very chatty games. And that's what my son always calls them, is the, uh, games that have a lot of front-loaded text. Okay. Yeah. Calls them chatty. Um, I feel that I feel that way about Pokemon uh, and we're kind of going back into the Pokemon catalog because my son's really into Pokemon and I'm seeing a lot of similarities between, you know, kind of the Game Boy version of Zelda and the Game Boy version of, you know, the early Pokemon. Well, let's talk about the Game Boy, ver- the, the uh, uh, version of Link's Awakening, because that's really what we're we're trying to focus on here. Um, sure. Like, oh my God, that two button thing. I, I didn't play it when it came out. You did play it when it came out. So when you played the game, like you only had two buttons and that was a that was fine. That was a limitation. But when I played the game, like I had a Super Nintendo controller in my hand and I was like, I've got these other buttons that I can't use and it was incredibly frustrating. Do you think do you think that that that, that game holds up as it is? I cuz I don't think it does. You know, I I I think that it is challenging to go back to, especially now that we've played multiple overhead Zeldas since then. Um, so I, I definitely think that it was challenging, but like it was challenging, you know, like that was the point, like it required you to, it slowed the pacing down a little bit, but it also required you to use certain items in certain combinations, you know? So if you wanted to do the dash jump, you had to equip the the boots um and the rock uh rocks feather you know Mm -hmm. kind of map those to two different buttons you know now you kind of have the dash map to a single button all the time which i think is a really great improvement to the gameplay and the pacing uh but it really required you to think about you know how you want to combine two specific items to accomplish uh, a task at hand or a challenge at hand and i think that when I encountered the Game Boy version, you know, I was I was a kid, so I had, you know, for as long as my parents would let me and as long as my AA batteries would last me, you know, <laughs> I had all the I had all the time in the world to take my time with this game. Um, and I think like Game Boy games at the time were very very uh, sim- simplistic. I want to say simplistic. I mean, obviously you had some outliers. You know, you had Pokemon and some of the Final Fantasy adventure games, right? But for the most part, you got a lot of simple platformer games, simple puzzle games. Um, so I was, you know, playing a lot of Tetris. I was playing uh, Wario Land. Uh, I was playing silly uh, licensed games like Rocky and Bullwinkle was a game that I had that I used right. to play hours. You know, the Simpsons uh, Escape from Camp Deadly or something, which was a terrible game, right? Like I had all these really <laughs> bad games. I had a lot of bad Game Boy games, right? Like, and I think there were a lot of sh- kind of shovelware, like bad Game Boy games that were out there that were just really simple platformers based on uh, TV licenses or movie licenses, right? So I think when you did get a game from Nintendo, uh, a- any of the games from Nintendo were high quality, right? But then when you got a game that was as jam packed, you know, you had eight dungeons in a small little Game Boy cartridge. And these are some of the best Zelda dungeons that you can experience, you know? So if you're a traditional Zelda player and you really like dungeons, uh, you get some of the best uh, in in this particular game. And I thought the music was on point. Uh, So I definitely think that the two button layout is challenging to go back to. Um, But I think that everything else about this game holds up so well. So if you can, if you have the time to kind of slow the pacing down and, and there's a lot of menu switching, item switching, but I think that if you can 
if you have the patience for that, going back to it, this is one of the top, I'd say top three Game Boy games to go back and experience as like best of the best on that particular platform. You said that it has like some of the best dungeons in the in the franchise. That's that's a really uh, tall order to fulfill. What makes you say that these dungeons stand out so much more than than other ones? Uh, even the later ones are are challenging. So I just finished up the eighth dungeon on the Switch version, and I'm not using a guide. It's been a long time since I played the DX version. And on the seventh dungeon, I found myself super stumped, you know, just in terms of what to do next. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there's a couple of different mechanics in that particular dungeon that I think were just super challenging, where if you didn't have a guide or Nintendo Power uh, or your friend didn't get through it already, I, I just don't know how anyone would would figure it out. Um, so some people might argue that that's, you know, really clever and challenging game design. Some people might argue that that's kind of cheap and unfair and, you know, hard to get through game design. Um, I, I think it's somewhere probably in the middle, but uh, I just, I, I have a really, I have a really solid set of memories going through these dungeons and reliving them on the switch has been a lot of fun too. I also think the the boss design is, is great. Um, a lot of Zeldas tend to repeat boss types and boss designs. And, you know, you, you see a couple different bosses show up in multiple Zeldas uh, because this takes place in a world that isn't Hyrule. You know, this this is able to kind of veer off from the Zeldas that came before it. You know, so you have some really interesting boss uh, and level design that is unique to the series, I think. Uh, so I definitely think that... Um, you know, those are a couple of reasons why the dungeons definitely stand out to me. I wonder, having not played this on um, on the Game Boy, uh, can you talk about like what did the dungeons did, did the dungeons all look the same on that little screen that was black and white, or like do, do you do you get what I'm saying, Tom? I so I don't think so because I definitely recall that all of the dungeons had somewhat of a unique aesthetic, but they also had unique enemies. So I felt, I feel like well, going back true. to it that, you know, you're introduced to, and I'm not talking about the bosses and sub bosses. I'm talking yeah. about, you know, common enemies that show up in just one dungeon or you're being introduced to for the first time. So I, I think that by introducing new gameplay mechanics, you know, you'll get, uh, a new item that allows you to do something you haven't been able to do before. You'll see some new enemies that you haven't seen before. Music is slightly tweaked. That even if they do all look monochromatic, they felt different and unique enough that it, it was it was diverse, right? Like it didn't feel like you were just replaying the same dungeon over and over again. Gotcha. Do, do you are there any items in the game and don't worry about spoiling an item in the game that's that's okay are there any items in the game that you wish were in other like that you wish were mechanics that would be used in other Zelda games that never were so for instance for me I would say like the the rock's feather I don't think link's ever been able to really have this this button where he can just jump at will it's always been 
he automatic in the 3D Zeldas he automatically jumps when he comes to a gap, and in the 2D Zeldas he never jumps. I think Rock's Feather is a perfect example. I, I definitely wish that that existed in some of the other Zeldas for sure. And I want to say that the like the shovel. I'm pretty sure the shovel shows up in a couple other Zeldas, but I remember looking for seashells, which is a collectible in this game. Mm-hmm. And I remember going through every single panel of this game <laughs> when I was a kid and using the shovel to dig up every shovelable patch of land to make sure that I wasn't missing a hidden seashell. And they've improved this a little bit in the new version. But yeah, like including that shovel just really ruined my childhood in terms of like how much time I spent <laughs> shoveling every single plot of land in this game. Uh, so the shovel is probably something that I, I am glad didn't show up in all Zeldas, you know, along with collectible seashells <laughs> that you can find. Um, but yeah, I think Rock's Feather is probably the best answer here just because, you know, not only can you jump, but the dash jump is a lot of fun too. It is. I I, I have to respond to the shovel. I hate the shovel because... Every time that I go to a new level or a new, maybe not even a new one, every time I go to a screen, I look at it and I think there's probably something here and I should be looking for it, but I don't, I can't be, I just can't be bothered because it's so, it's such a huge screen and it's not like it was on, because I'm, again, I'm playing it on the Switch version. It's not like it was on the Game Boy where, uh, you know, you walk to the edge and in the switch version, when you walk to the edge, sometimes it scrolls with you. So, you know, you have to go through and and dig all that up and then it scrolls over on the Game Boy version. Uh, you just don't go all the way to the edge because the the world doesn't scroll with you until you hit that edge. So, yeah, it's a, it's got to be a lot easier on the Game Boy version to dig up all of those spots, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was definitely easy to keep track of everything. Um, you know, one mechanic to you while we're on the topic that I really appreciated in this game, especially with the two button layout in future Zelda games. Yeah. And I guess link to the past two, you know, you had special arrows, you know, so you would have a fire arrow or you would have an ice arrow uh, or the, the light arrows. And I really appreciated how simple they made, you know, being able to combine the bombs and the arrows. I don't know if you've tried this yet, but you know, if you hit the bomb button and the arrow button at the same time, you, you essentially, you know, let an explosive arrow fly. Are you uh, kidding is, me? Yes. Yeah. So you can combine those two items to basically send off an explosive arrow, um, which is really, really helpful with certain enemies. And I just thought like, like, yeah, why not? Like, why wouldn't you be able to just kind of attach a bomb to an arrow and just, you know, fire away? And I don't recall that really showing up. Maybe it showed up in a link between worlds. I can't really remember but I don't recall that showing up in too many other Zelda games. You would just have to ultimately find fire arrows, you know, or explosive arrows or some t- special type of arrow. I, I, I just, just to the listener, I just tried it and can confirm you can shoot bomb arrows by hitting both buttons at the same time. That blows my mind. Is there, maybe you don't know, but is there a point in the game where they tell you this? I don't remember. And I think that's what really delighted me about this game is that you had this this two button layout and, you know, I, I don't even remember if they tell you that you can do the dash jump, you know, let alone they just 
you just kind of have to figure it out when you see that you can run, you see that you can jump, you can combine up to two items at the same time, you know, and you can kind of experiment and test to get across certain obstacles, you know? So if you see a jump you can't make, you know, hopefully your intuition says, Hey, maybe I should try this. Um, I'm not sure that they actually tell you about the bomb arrows. Yeah. And I think, I feel like the dash jump, that is definitely something that somebody would just try, but trying to hit the bomb button and the arrow button at the same time, because I feel like whenever I'm playing, I always have rocks feather on one and then something else on the other button. Uh, But I always have the feather out and I don't know why. Because I really don't use it all that often, but it never would have occurred to me to try both of those at the same time. And my mind is just blown away that that's an option that is so clever. And that was even in the Game Boy version as well, which is even more impressive. Yeah, just very clever game design. Just a lot of little things like that that I remember picking up on. Well, this has been really... Is there anything else about the game that you want to share? Yeah, I'll share one more thing. It has my favorite Zelda song of all time, which is uh, Telltale Heights, uh, which is super, super catchy. Uh, It doesn't really, it's kind of a motif off of some some traditional Zelda music, but it has just such a nice little hook to it. Uh, There's a couple great uh, bands, uh, kind of rock bands that play covers of this that I really appreciate. So if you go on YouTube and you search for Telltale Heights cover, uh, Bit Brigade, Bit Brigade is one of them. Uh, really fantastic. So I definitely recommend uh, checking out that song, if anything, if you've never experienced Link's Awakening. It's uh, it's a super great song. I, I I can't say that I know that song, even though I've been to Telltale Heights in the game. Yeah. Like it didn't jump out at me. But for you to say that it's your favorite Zelda song of all time, I have to ask what's your second. And, and if you don't say the one that I'm thinking of, I think we may have to end this interview. Oh, really? Uh, that's really hard. <laughs> then uh, hopefully we don't have to end this interview. But my my second favorite Zelda song is the intro to Ocarina of Time, um, where it just comes in with the piano. And then I guess the, the flute or I guess it's an ocarina, I'm not sure, but like comes over on top of it. It's just such a beautiful little intro. Uh, and you kind of have Epona riding off through the hills uh i love the intro to ocarina of time just super super great i'm, I'm talking about the title screen uh, yeah when you first turn on the game. we we can't be friends anymore I, i'm just kidding but uh my favorite what's Zelda yours song, yeah what's yours it, it's gerudo valley i oh my gosh well you play that on your, po- your your other podcast uh quite frequently and uh, I do. it's always it's always a delight to hear that song for sure especially the one by tom winter that like that yeah that acoustic version of that is just amazing but i love the gerudo valley song but now i definitely want to check out the telltale heights song and actually li- like pay attention to it because most of the time when i'm playing a game I don't really pay attention to the music very much. I tend to just focus on whatever it is that I'm doing. And then it's often later uh, I'll find like a playlist on YouTube or something and I'll listen to it when I'm not distracted by the game. And that's when I actually uh, get this music in my head and I'm like, oh yeah, that's really good. So for instance, like on DuckTales, the moon theme, I don't think I ever noticed how amazing the moon theme is on DuckTales until I heard Smooth McGroove uh, singing it on YouTube. 
And then I was like, oh my God, I got to find every remix of this song ever because I never occurred to me how amazing that is. And this is somebody who I like, I love chiptunes music. And this is mostly because when I was a kid, if I was, if I misbehaved at all, my parents would take my controllers uh, because that then I couldn't play the games anymore, but I could still put the game in and turn on the TV and turn on the game and listen to the music. And I always like to listen to the music, but I don't pay attention to it when I'm playing. Yeah. So I definitely am going to load up the game. Well, it's already loaded up, but uh, I'm going to go to Tall Tall Heights and uh, listen to that song and see if maybe it convinces me that Gerudo Valley isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I don't know. I mean, Gerudo Valley is awesome. So your favorite's your favorite. Um, it is, yeah. You know, it, it's easy to have multiple favorites with the Zelda franchise. So many good songs. That's that's absolutely true. Um, so uh, th- this has been a super fun conversation, Tom. Thank you for coming on. Each episode, I try and have my guest close out the show by saying our outro, which is resolution doesn't matter. Resolution doesn't matter. The theme song for 143 Pixels is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. You can find more of their music at tonylays.bandcamp.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can find it at pixels143. And if you want to follow me, I'm at runjumpstomp. This show is part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. For more information, head on over to gstu.net.